I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. Is that back in the house? Always good. The man of large words and large intellect. Well, I'm yeah. just now figuring out after 15 or 20 minutes that that was Latin. <laughs> so it appears he's that a, Mr. He's Dasher, a lover of Latin. No, it appears that Mr. Dasher is an educated man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you might, you got to admit though, you you used the tool absurdism, in the Absurdism, without nausea, absurdism. After talking about all this uh, Valentine's Day and did, did all this, we had our wives on, and I can see Zach's quoting some Latin phrase that Jill has no idea what it means, and she's like, what does that mean, Zach? And he's like, are you wearing a bustle? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you and play a little is, Frederick Chopin for your wife tonight. Yeah, you, you got to give uh, you got to explain <laughs> your pop culture references. All right, that was is, all is, from the uh, movie from Tombstone. Tombstone. So for everybody wondering where this went off the rails, I call it day. That was yep, that was it. So which, was which is my favorite character of all movies of all times. So that 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 he uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah, I mean it's a good one. And they didn't say it in that that particular movie, but uh, in another, when I did a little research on the the Kate, you know, which was the the she was a prostitute, the woman he ran with, she was called Hook Nose Kate mm. in real life. So I'm not sure she looked quite as good yeah. <laughs> as the actress who played. I mean, her name in history was Hook Nose Kate. Hook Nose. So, Hook knows, yeah. I don't exactly know how she got that name, but that's an old, by the way, random fact. Well, to push the to push the argument to its logical conclusion, Doc Holliday did he did all the things here to the end, the the carousal, the sensual lust, the drunkenness, the drinking parties. Mm -hmm. That's how he lived his life. it did You're not true. work out well for him in the You're end. You're right. That was a foreshadowing of our text today. Was was Dr. It really was. He so, was reluctantly absurdy. So oh. so Zach dropped a Latin dropped a Latin phrase on us in the last podcast. For those of you, if this is your first time to ever listen to, to us, Zach. So you weren't on the podcast for a little stretch there, and we started a new. In your absence, I felt like because there's such a great synergy between you and Jace when you drop these large words uh, mm-hmm. that we started a Jace's Word of the Week. Yeah, I protested this. <laughs> because I just felt like we were missing something. You you do it just naturally because it just those big words or Latin phrases just fall out of your, your large brain. And so, you know, I, ha- I have to get part of our crack staff to look things like this up. All right, well, let's hear it. And so we've got a Jace's Word of the Week. I have no idea what it is. He doesn't know. This is all just, I don't know, Jace's Word of the Week. This week, the word is eisegesis. As opposed to exegesis? Exegesis, which you well, know Well, I that know word. what that one is. Okay, that's good. Exegesis is, of course, the explanation or interpretation of Scripture. Uh, okay. Th- uh, the writer's intent, right? So eisegesis would be an interpretation of Scripture that expresses the interpreter's own ideas, bias, or the like, rather than the meaning of the text. 
So the eisegesis of a text would be what a person thinks about it as opposed to what the writer's intention was. It, it's it's well, what you uh, do. When, when we get in biblical arguments, I use exegesis and you use eisegesis. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what he's trying to say. I knew where this was headed. That's why. I would say based on hearing the definition and it used in a sentence in Zach's commentary that I would just say no to ISIS Jesus. <laughs> ISIS Jesus. ISIS. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you have ISIS in it. See what I did there? See, to me, that's talent. Uh, That's good. That's clever. (laughs) Yeah. Exegesus is to to read. What are you reading out of the text? Isegesis is to read into the text. What you're putting into. That's well. what, What I would recommend is take the exa off and take the isa off and just focus on Jesus. <laughs> I can do this all day. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have a I don't I don't even have to say that. It's hard to argue with Jesus. <laughs> it's it's like always right. Jesus. It's always true. Yeah. And so yeah. meanwhile, when people get into these words, I'm the guy in the audience saying, you know, why don't we just focus on Jesus here? Actually, that's what one of our instructors, as we're in the school, uh, he said, you got to watch it even with exit Jesus because you don't want to exit Jesus. I remember him saying that, That's which is was a pretty good line. That's well, good. To, since uh, in, the, in the spirit of my dad, since y'all brought this up, in the spirit of Dad, who brought up Colossians two, talking about Saint. Well, I'm yeah. going to bring up First Corinthians in one the Bible. <laughs> again. I'm going to revisit that Christ didn't send me to baptize. I explained this in the last couple of podcasts. Couple of podcasts, but to preach the gospel. There's Jesus, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Mm. So there. Can I can I can I add on to that? Do you mind? Add well, on. then if you add on to it, that would be an ISO Jesus. <laughs> I'm not adding my words. I'm just going to read uh, oh, okay. further into the text. Yet we do speak wisdom. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom, wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they had understood it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which no eye has seen, an ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So we do speak wisdom, and we just don't speak human wisdom. I see that. You look carefully uh, when it begins the whole the context of what he's fixing to say, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. That's chapter four, verse one and two. But if you keep going, by the time you get to verse 12 and all of this, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as some, though something strange were happened to you. In other words, and he ends it all up you know, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And I think basically that's the whole thing in a ball of wax. It's suffering is a good thing. Yeah. It, if it's as if, a Christian, if it falls in the example of you you're you're on top of things when you're being belittled for pointing people to Jesus. 
We see it all the time in our culture. It's a constant battle all the time. And people who speak about Jesus factually, let's face it, Al, it's it's not it's not embraced by the by our culture, one hundred. Which is why when you all. get to verse four, when you get to verse four in First Peter, it it basically gives instruction. Don't be surprised if people, you know, don't don't run. The, the, basically, they they are surprised by us if we don't run into the same things that they're running into. So the world is not going to understand this because they don't have a framework for. I think true intimacy. So and they're you, saying you we're set. the we're the strangers. In other words, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they're going to have to yeah. give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. That's reading the gospel with preach. We're trying to help them out by pointing them to Jesus. He's the only one that can save them. Well, I think it's good. To, I think it's good for us to understand when we read a passage like this. And not everybody can speak to this, but a lot of us can say, man, we, we indulged in, this isn't like a thing where we don't, like, we've indulged in some of these things. I mean, I'm looking at some of the these things mentioned here, and I'm like, yeah. I'm guilty of, of indulging in those. And I always try to ask the question, because I had to ask this of myself when I got to that place in my life where I was like, man, there's got to be more, you know? Like, it's really just a pragmatic question. How's it working out for you? You know, how, how is that working out for you? Or is it really promising the freedom or whatever the, the peace or the, the wholeness or the fullness of whatever you're searching for, whatever the thing is that entices you, that pulls you into whatever the thing is, like, is that, is it delivering? And when I lived with your brother, Jep, your son, Jep, and we were living like this, you know, it's, I, I would drive to tech every day because we had a, I had a 15 minute drive to Louisiana tech because we lived in between Louisiana Tech and University of Louisiana Monroe, where Jeff went, and we were having a great time. But every day, I always had this thought that would pop in my mind. I, I would think, man, this is what we're having the time of our life. We're having a ton of fun. But I kept thinking, if this is as good as it gets, that's pretty bleak. And I think that's the cistern that we were talking about earlier. Like I had a, I had a, a, a framework to hold my reality in, and but but I kept had this nagging truth that was saying, "Hey, it's not enough, though. Is this really enough? Is I mean, this is good. This is as good as it gets. Is is that going to sustain you? Is that going to hold you? Is that going to lead you to something?" I had that inner longing that C.S. Lewis talks about when he says that if you find yourself longing for more than this world can provide, perhaps you are made for another world. But I wasn't letting myself really contemplate that. I think that's what is good for us when we read scriptures like this is to just allow ourselves for a moment to contemplate and say, you know, how is this working out for me? Is my current pursuit delivering on what it's promised to deliver on? Well, and look at it now, Zach, 20, almost 25 years later, and now in the season of where you are today, as a mature man with a with a daughter, and now almost a son, the same age you were at that time, would you say you feel more fulfillment as a life being led by the will of God versus that human flesh part of what you had then? Because like you said, there's no doubt there's some fun involved in terms of the fun of the moment, but is is your life more fulfilling now than it was then, would you say? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. I mean, it's it, in fact, I would say that the things that I struggle with, 
the temptations that I struggle with at 24 years old, for example, or 23, 22, like in that time frame, you know, like those things are not struggles for me anymore. In fact, when I see people in like how I was at 21 years old, like the first thing that pops in my mind is you idiot. I mean, I'm just like, that's what I think. I'm like, but I was that guy. I was that guy. Right. But when you are progressively sanctified over 25 years of walking with Jesus and being led by the spirit, then, you know, one of the promises of Christ in our sanctification is that over time, you know, we're not just saved from the guilt of our sin. Over time, we will be saved progressively from the power or the grip that sin has over us. And that there will be things in your life as you walk with the spirit, as God reveals more truth to you, or rather you accept more God's revelation of truth. That, that you start to see his beauty and his glory and his and what intimacy is. I mean, the conversation we had in the last podcast about intimacy, I didn't even know what that was 15 years ago in my marriage. I didn't know. And so I'm in this performative marriage and I have all this guilt and shame and uh, uh, anxiety that's a result of me thinking I got to be performing or whatever, be this guy, be this thing. And I'm hiding from Jill and all this stuff. And I didn't even know what intimacy was. So I think the healing that comes progressively it's offered to all of us. But what we want a lot of times is we talk about the will of God. What we want is an instant. I want to be healed right now. I want to be totally whole right now. And that's just not how it works. I mean, it's, you have to walk with him to know him. You have to spend time with him to know him and to taste the Lord and to see that he's good. Um, so that's your, that's a long answer to your question, but I'm a different person. hundred percent. So thanks to your support, Patriot Mobile has emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy, and they have big news, Jace. Big news. Big news. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. This means that if you're with all the big three and you like the service but you hate their values, you can access them with Patriot Mobile. They also offer a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between the three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. So you get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. This new year resolved to stop supporting companies that don't align with your values. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service teams make switching easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash fill or you can call them at 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code PHIL. That's patriotmobile.com slash PHIL, or you can call them at 878-PATRIOT. That's patriotmobile.com slash PHIL, or call 878-PATRIOT. If judgment begins with us, he's going to end this whole thing up by saying, what do you think about the ones, what, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? It begins with us first. We'll be judged before the world. Uh, the, the world will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. That's the reason the gospel is preached. If judgment begins with us and then to the unsaved, you say, what kind of people aren't you to be? It's a scary thought. I mean, very much so. Well, Zach, Jill spoke to, when she was on the podcast, she spoke to you guys in your relationship growing to a place of open confession and, um, I guess, security in each other to have authenticity and reality 
Um, would you speak to that son? Cause she, she was very, I mean, she did an awesome job just describing how that had transformed you guys over the course of, of your marriage and how, how now that was a place where you guys had that security now in each other to be able to have that sort of transparency with each other. Yeah. I mean, we got to a place where I think that I was living under this burden that I had to be her um, fulfillment, you know, I had to provide her with fulfillment. Yeah. And what's mean, other words, I had to be her God. And, um, and then she had to make me feel good about myself or whatever it was. And, and so there was a lot of hiding, um, probably both of our parts, a lot yeah. of hiding. I didn't said. feel, yeah, I didn't feel free to confess anything to her cause uh, she struggled with jealousy. So I'm not going to like go tell her, Hey, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm battling lust or something. I, I mean, cause then she's going to feel like, you know, less than, or like, well, I don't measure up. And then, yep. you know, it, so it's kind of like the perfect storm coming together. And we just got to a place where I, I finally was like, you know what? I'm about, I was just ready to burn it down. I said, yeah, here's the deal. Just, I just full fledged, just vomited out to her, but it was confession. Um, and so, you know, James five sixteen says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You know, we're wanting to get, which is a, again, a form of suffering, right? Like if you confess your sin, especially to your spouse, especially if it's like a like pornography or lusting or you know adultery or anything like that, like if you confess that to your spouse, I can promise you one thing: there will be suffering. <laughs> but as you know, Al, ha- having gone through you know infidelity mm-hmm. and things like that, you can never get to intimacy if that's hidden. And honestly, you can't hide it forever. Anyways, it's gonna it's all gonna come out in the wash. And you always say something that resonates with me. You say detonate your own time bomb. And that's really what confession does. It's a detonation of your own time bomb, time bomb, but you have to be willing to go into a season of suffering so that you can experience a resurrection. I mean, it's just so biblical. And that thing repeats itself. You know, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ repeats itself over and over and over again in our life. You know, it's not just a one time event that happens at our baptism. Romans 6 says that it's ongoing, too. Yeah, it's a one-time thing that gets us in, and we're justified, but then it's an ongoing, perpetual, progressive process of continuing to confess sin, suffer, and then being resurrected. Confess sin, suffer, resurrected, which leads to life. Yeah, And that's that's the process over and over and over again. I think that's what uh, Peter is pointing out. You know, whenever we were doing a class called Dynamic Marriage, there was one of our guys that had a big influence on Lisa and I named Joe Beam, and he illustrated it. He had three circles in a line, and they overlap. So if you imagine a circle, a circle, a circle, and they all overlap, so you have a little— Like the Olympic circles? Yeah, like the Olympic circles. And what the first one had an I in it, the middle one had a C, and the third one had a W. And the I was intimacy. And, of course, we were talking about relationships, but you could use this illustration with God as well. And if you had this I, intimacy is obviously what you strive for. But most of us live in that little overlapping circle between intimacy and conflict, right? Because you have conflict. It's natural. It's normal. And But but you should always go trend back towards intimacy because that's what God called us to. But when you begin to trend more toward conflict, the relationship becomes dangerous, right? Because we're constantly in conflict. So then when you're in that place in the middle of that C circle, you have a choice. Do we go back towards intimacy or do we go towards the W, which is withdrawal? 
And so then you get into that circle where it goes together. And he talks about once you start withdrawing, then you start not caring anymore. Once you firmly get over there, then the relationship becomes doomed because once you yeah, live and withdraw, you're hiding. Yeah, exactly. And the problem With, is withdrawing is hiding. It is hiding. And the problem is when you're in the W, when you're fully in that circle, the only way to get back down to intimacy is to do what? To go back through conflict. Yeah, go back to the pain. And that's what we don't want to do is go back. to, And that's suffering is what we're talking about. You could say suffering, put that in the sea as well. So I think that's exactly what Peter is talking about here. When we get withdrawn from God, whether it's these this list of sins in verse 3 or whatever it is, we have to go back through the difficulties of understanding who God is to get back to a relationship with him. Peter makes a point, be clear-minded and self-control so that you can pray above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So, you know, right. I thought the same thing, Phil. We, when he said, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled. He said that in one, one thirteen. Yeah. Then here he says the same thing. And then five eight, he's like, be self-controlled and alert. Yeah. Cause you took it the opposite. A lot of people try to numb the pain by using whatever so yep. you don't have to deal with it then yeah but so when you sit down and you're having this prepare your mind for action well that that's going to be that's going to bring suffering and it may be from somebody you love but at least you're getting it out there and having a conversation yep but yeah but i think it's uh when you when you read like this passage in first peter and he talks about these i mean these are like more visceral sins that i think that you know, these are the visceral sins of the Gentiles. Um, so he's making a point here, particularly about, I mean, he, he says it here, you know, the, for a time is already uh, passed, for the time are already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. So he's he's kind of talking about a particular culture here, here having pursued a course of sensuality. And I think that's the 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 hard part about what Peter's calling us to when we enter into suffering, because our default is to is to be on a course of sensuality. That's kind of your default position because it's easier. It's you don't have to like do anything. You just get carried away by it. And you just I, go but, to what's natural. Yeah, you go to what's natural. It's, it's like if you're in a uh, drifting down. A, I heard Macaulay used to use this analogy a lot. Something about you know, you're you're going upstream in the boat, and you know as soon as you turn off the motor, what what does the boat do? Yes. And you're an idol. You think you're an idol, but you're not an idol. You're you're drifting back. I mean, yeah. you, you when you're not when you're not moving forward, then you're drifting back. That's you're right. you're 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 moving in a direction. There is the no flow. like static position. Well, that's why the strangeness comes in when you because like most people in the world, because I'm around worldly people a lot. Most people when their wife comes up, nothing positive's coming out of their mouth. And whether it's jokes or it's it's nothing. That the, well, the world would view that as harmless, but I would never say anything negative about my in wife. Fact, in fact, I would say what they don't realize is it's so destructive what they're doing. They're not even realizing how destructive. Oh, they don't realize it, it's just it's a uh, stereotype that they're so, tearing down their wives in a way they or husbands it, they can't imagine. And I've done, you know, sometimes I've made comments in a worldly setting, you know, playing cards or whatever, where, you know, people are saying things. And I, I've said, I said, well, I love my wife. Well, they laugh. 
They think I'm kidding. You're not joking. Yeah, I'm not joking. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. Because <laughs> it's too strange. <laughs> yeah. It's too strange for someone to actually say and believe that. that yeah. That's what took me off guard is like, they thought that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because because in their world, the you know, in the, in the or in, in the eyes of the world, the wife or the husband is the old ball and chain. That's it's it. a, it's a, it's oppression. It's it's a it's it, it's limiting me and my freedom. That's right. You know, but I keep going back to that. I've said it on here several times. Like you think you're escaping freedom, which is we're going to find out in the next and uh, second Peter that you know, they promise themselves freedom, freedom, mm-hmm. while they themselves are slaves to depravity. In Second uh, Peter two, but you think of this idea of Bob Dylan said it right, that um, you got to serve somebody. <laughs> like, there is no such thing as just complete autonomous freedom. Like we just, I just do it. I mean, no, you, you're going to serve, you're going to be a slave to somebody or something. Like, sure. That's a fact. And so what we think is us uh, a ball, ball and chain. No, it's a ball and chain because we don't understand the nature of intimacy and, and we don't understand the nature of the uh, nature of freedom. But what's ironic, what's ironic though, Zach, uh, let's take another break. Is outside of even the biblical narrative of this. I just saw a poll this week that every time they do these, it comes out the same way that people who are conservative minded in terms of political yeah. or just the way they live their lives typically will always in a poll setting will come out saying they have a happier relationship by limiting themselves to one wife, to a conservative view of life, to a household that, you know, basically loves God or is, you know, believes in God. And almost every time they consider that they think of themselves as being basically having a happier life than those who don't, that, that have a supposedly freer view of the world well, right. or a more liberal view of the world. Well, it's just upsetting in the, since we've gone on this road, you know, cause what, when we talked about when we had all our wives there and Missy and I has done it many times, you know, we talk about our wedding night cause we were both virgins and, uh, you know, it was it was what it was, but it was God's way of doing things, and there was no shame. And so people, though they respond in the Christian world, they're like, you know, that's WTMI, way too much information, you know. And I'm like, meanwhile, if you have kids and you say that, you don't realize, especially in this in our phone world, how their number one thing with them is this instant access to nudity and sex and that's all going to distort the way they're they're thinking i mean all you got to do is check their phone yeah i mean it is a problem and i'm like i do not enjoy sharing that most vulnerable time of my life that i was nervous about but i'm doing it because i want other kids to think who were living the life i was because yeah. i was getting so much abuse from my friends and i shared this you were getting blind Oh, I, my line is an under, it, the most the most persecution I've ever received in my life was being outspoken when I was in high school about me being a virgin because I didn't I didn't hide it because we'd all be standing around and my buddies were not believers and uh, and they would all be saying whatever they did Friday night, which I found out later was all a lie. They were That's just trying. It's just, it's not yeah. even true. It wasn't even true or what yeah. they did with this girl and that girl. Or and highly embarrassed, highly at the very best, it was highly embellished, but most likely it was completely untrue. But it was 100% filthy. And, uh, you know, and they knew 
that I was a virgin and I didn't run away from that because I didn't care what anybody thought. I was like, well, I've never been with a woman. And they, <laughs> I mean, it was the scorn from, because I think they were just trying to break me down, which really didn't bother me. But they felt guilty for what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I was young. and uh, But what I'm saying is now, what what's crazy is I actually get ridiculed from Christian people for sharing that because it feel it makes which I do not get. I, I, I'm I'm just the opposite because what I said about because I mentioned it, Jason, when I was speaking at our marriage refresh. Because I'm like, look, none of us can do anything. We're all married here, so all of us have already been married. However, you went into your wedding night, you went into it. But all of us here with kids and grandkids, do we not want that for them? That that's why yeah. I'm holding. The I mean, line. I'm like, do I, do I not want that for you, my you know grandchildren? You know what's you, you know what's funny. This is this is. I mean, true. it's the ideal. This it's is, what I want for my grandkids. But that was my point. Out, I can't win. I was ridiculed in the world. I'm really killed in in some church settings. Yeah, but but you're making but it's people need to hear it. Yeah, they need to hear. Well, I'm not going to stop talking about it. Obviously, and my wife is. What? We we believe we're doing this. You are. If there's doing. one. I know everybody always says this in the church world, but it's really true. If there's one young person who is like, you know what, I'm going to do it God's way. They did it. Because uh, to me, I would have liked to have heard that when I was a teenager. It's a and I did not get that support. It's there was no one telling me, this done. is good. This is good. Because uh, I really wasn't telling y'all. And they don't, people don't have a framework for on it. On a little different angle, I know this sounds absurdity. What did he say? Reluctant. Reluctant. What was it again, Zach? Uh, Reducti re, re, reductio. Think about what, are, what are we going to do with, and it'll be up to y'all because I've scratched my head on it for several years, uh, when Peter's given us all this lesson about suffering coming our way, love each other, be aware of who you are, judging regarding to men but uh, and the body, but live according to God. But then in chapter, in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Well, what I... incarnation is he trying to say? Because he's the one who said, if I turn a page or two, he's the one who said, uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. He's not slow in keeping his promise. His understand some understand slowness. Well, I tried to cover that. But in, the day in, of the Lord will come like a thief, and the end of all things is near. I'm thinking, well, to God, it doesn't make any difference. A thousand years is like a day. So is it just that simple? Well, well, it means a lot of things. We went we went down that road a couple of podcasts ago because people disagree on you know some people believe well he's referring to the end of the Judaism era because this because this would have been this book would have been written with just maybe three or four or five years left before the destruction of Jerusalem. He could have been, he could have been yeah, saying but I that. did make that the makes point. Sense. But that I did makes, make the that point. Makes sense. But I do make the point and because I defend our brothers who do not believe that's what this is. I do make the point that technically, no matter how you view this, the end is near to all of us because we only live one generation. And so it, it doesn't matter what you believe, that judgment is coming. We, we will stand before God. Well, because the two prior verses before that verse, he had just been talking about people who are dead. Yeah. So the idea yeah. is that 
everybody's end is near in the sense that you're going to die exactly soon. And ever. I think there's you some know, truth in you, that. And, you, and if your life spans 70 to 80 years, whatever, it, it comes pretty quick. Well, and the they're key, all under severe well, persecution, too. The key too. point, though, is Jesus' is, is arrival, him coming back, coincides with your death. Because at your death, it will be, we get back into this this argument about time ceases to pass. It, it's literally like you were asleep. Not that you were. It's just, as far as time is concerned, it coincides with that. It, yep. You know, you die, and then next thing you know, which is a famous saying in these parts, That's right. well, here comes Jesus. So technically, the end was near. Yeah. So, but we're trying to relate this to an eternal being where there is no end. So that's where the conflict is. Yeah. What perspective are you looking at it? But I think the key point is when we do look at this, uh, the opposites of having a mind that's sober minded and clear minded and prepared for action. When you look in this list of sins of the earthly evil human desires that we all war at, and, and he actually mentioned that, member in chapter 2 and 11, he said, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Well, the reason you're viewed as a stranger is just what he just got, got through saying. Don't be surprised that, they, that they're surprised that you're acting this way. They think it's strange. Remember the verse in Corinthians that yeah. you don't launch into the same flood of dissipation. There's your word that's negative. Yep. You don't want to be a dissipator. Yep. I don't know if that's a word, but you get my point. And it says you you abstain from these sinful desires which war against your soul. And the reason they're so hard to get around is because, like for a man, for a man, since we're talking about, you know, it says lust and drunkenness, which is, you don't have to deal with pain and suffering, you know, if you're drunk. But the lust is another easy way out. It's way easier to do that because you're not in a confrontation. It, it's yeah. it's way it, easier. It's, to... it's what it, it it is an escape. I mean, I think all these things are escape. It's an escape from reality. It's escape from suffering. It's escape from pain. All this is, and I think that it, if you think it is strange though. Like what we're called to, we have to admit, we have to admit this, that it is very strange to think about what we're called to, to abstain from things that are pleasurable. They well, why would I do that? And the answer is, is because there's a bigger picture involved and, and there's something more pleasurable. The problem with it is, is that we don't have a framework for intimacy to understand it. And so we go in a lot of times in churches, what we preach is uh, we're, we're preaching a, a better version of of this in other words uh, what christ offers is a better version of drunkenness debauchery sensuality and that's not true it doesn't offer a better version he offers a bigger it's a it's bigger it's it's a whole other paradigm it's something that you can't understand that's what the pastors we were jokingly when i was reading about the wisdom and your uh, uh the wisdom of god that we preach that's what paul was getting at in first corinthians chapter one that that this is something that no no ear has heard and no eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love him. But he says that he has revealed this to us through the spirit and continues to reveal it to us. So I always thought about it like that C.S. Lewis quote where he says something to the effect of we go on uh, fooling about with sex and drink. And I'm probably demolishing this quote, but we, we fool around with that. He said, because we are half-hearted creatures, it's not that the Lord finds our desires too strong. He finds them too weak. 
and we go about settling for mud pies in the slum because we can't fathom a holiday by the sea. And I think that's the picture here of this. We're like we're settling for these these very visceral things because we cannot. It, it's like we're it's like that's a mud pie because we can't imagine what God has prepared for us. And if we would lean into the suffering on the other side of the suffering through the res- resurrection of Jesus, there is immense joy and peace. And it's by the way a peace that surpasses all understanding. So you're trying to like, paint a picture for people, and they're like, eh, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. you know. And that's odd. It is strange. It's very strange, but, but, it's, not, but it's true. Well, I want to say this. So, but now I, th- I think Peter's point here, to get back to the point. So since Jesus suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same atti- attitude as a result, which is another form of therefore, he doesn't live like this. So just go to this one instance. Let's just apply this in John 4. He runs up on a woman. Now, he obviously knows that she's been married uh, five times, and she's living with a guy. And instead of offering her a drink, uh, an adult beverage, he offered her a spiritual form of living water. Because he actually says... Uh, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew, you know, so we have an association issue. So he's already torn down that barrier. But if you're with a woman in this setting, most people would think, well, he's making a move here, especially if he knew her past. And he turns it around and says, "Uh, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So they start having this conversation. They get into her lifestyle, and he starts talking about spirit and truth. And my point is, what he's doing is very strange here. Because most of the time, when you're alone with a woman at a well, with a woman with this kind of past, you're not going down this road. And my point is, you're less likely to do something sinful if you're approaching her in this frame of mind. That's correct. He was being, he was preparing his mind for action in a spiritual way, which is every time I've been hemmed up in some sort of, you know, situation that could go wrong with a woman, you know, I either start talking about my wife or quote scriptures because that, that usually, or I usually every time has worked. That ended the, Whatever we thought was where this was going. You're clearing the air. I'm clearing the air. (laughs) Because that's what he did. He had had an intimate conversation, especially about her past and all. And in a way, was offering her to be a spiritual husband, because that's what we all eventually are in Christ. And I just think that's, if you wrap your head around that, so it's like if you're being offensive-minded about sharing Jesus with other people, you're less likely to be thinking about what she's wearing or how it looks on her. If you're actively having a conversation about these types of things in a public setting, it is a form of, of a trap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a form but, of but a trap. To your, to your, to your point, Jason, the end of all things is near. And, and I would agree. I think that's probably more about the destruction of the temple in 8070. 
But you go back to that woman at the well passage. Jesus is kind of talking about the same thing there, right? He says, because uh, she asked, she asked him the question, where do we worship on the mountain or in Jerusalem? He said, a, a time is coming. In fact, it's now here. When you want, it's not going to take place at either one of those places. And if you drink the water that I give you, it will be a spring in you welling up to eternal life. So I think that the the big thing here that I think is the, like the victory that we can have is understanding that that we are the new temple. As 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 spirit filled believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us, and so we can actually have you. Know, I mean, you, talk, you want to talk about like God being present, Emmanuel, God with us? Well, how much more so is God with us? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's why persecution and all. You just take it all in stride and keep moving forward. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you lean into the presence of God because God is present with you as a believer. And I think that's like there's something like in that. And there's not something. There's everything in that. And it's hard for us to to get it. Uh, we never fully get it, but we can start scratching through it. And and we got and we see more and more and more of the depth and the beauty of this. And it's that peace that surpasses all understanding. There's something else out there that, and, and it's bigger. And when we, when we start to allow the Holy spirit to foster in us an imagination for what this is, that that's our, that's worship. Worship is this imagination. Uh, uh, James K. A. Smith calls it an imagination station. It's like you start to contemplate the bigness and the glory and the wonder of God. Then all of these sins that we struggle with, they start to seem really, really, really small. Like whatever the temptation is, as I walk in the spirit, the temptation just seems little. And I'm like, it just seems, it seems like child's place. Like, why, 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 would I, why would I go that route? And I think that's what we're moving towards. But we have to be willing, have to be willing to suffer with Christ if we're going to taste the glory with Christ. Yeah, which is why he wound up this chapter by eventually getting back to his will, which is where he starts in verse 2. We went through all the other places he's mentioned. He's said it over and over. You know, he gets to 19. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful and creator and continue to do good. But he had just said this part about the end is near. And uh, he says, you know, judgment begins with the family of God. And for a while, I was like, well, why would he bring that in here? Because I, I think we usually think of the next phrase, which it says, well, what, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those that don't obey the gospel? But you get persecution and you get suffering in various forms. You know, before I was a, uh, a Christian, I mean, uh, be, before I was outspoken as a Christian, I, I just got persecution from the world only because I was in high school trying to live a Christian life. Well, then I became outspoken to my unbelieving friends. Well, I really got persecution. But as I've matured in the faith and my audience became more of, you know, where I'm speaking or it's not just on a daily basis at school or whatever, I've gotten way more persecution from believers. And I do think that that's part of this thing. And you are going to suffer for doing right, even from the believers. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I do think that's why he he viewed these two camps because you're. It's not going to be just from the world. You're gonna you're going to be persecuted even among believing people. Your motives are going to be questioned. They don't agree with you. Arguments happen. They say things they should. You know. So 
It's just part of Go it. Go to Bible verse and the heat comes. Well, exactly. It from all, all sources. It always is. Let's take our last break. So, by the way, when you get persecuted, by the way, uh, I literally rejoiced in it. I rejoiced with the persecution. Yeah. I said, yeah. now we're getting somewhere. Well, I think all I did was quote it, a Bible. Well, it verse. comes down to why you're doing this. And when he said that you have a clear conscience, you're, you know, if you're, if you're saying, where is the Lord in this? I, you know, I brought that up. Your number one goal is what's God's will for me to do. And it's to suffer for him and to totally relinquish whatever my motives, accolades, arguments. I mean, you're, you're trying to be like Jesus. And so you look at what he does and you're trying to insert that. And that gives you a clear conscience. If you're concerned about what the Lord thinks about this situation, so when you're maligned and ridiculed or misjudged, which is going to happen almost every day, especially when you're being active and right. trying to help, right. that, that's where all the problem is. That's why I said the biggest thing the evil one wants is for you to be comfortable. No fire. He does, that, that, that's the ultimate way to get people. It's just make them comfortable. Let them put their trust in broken cisterns. And then you got them. I mean, God is the one putting you in the the trials to test your faith and refine. Let's back to that text you read in Revelation. Uh, lukewarm is not where you want to be. Oh, I think that's hilarious. When Jesus said, "You need to buy some gold from me <laughs> that's, that's right. been refined." That's right. I mean, what what a what a illustration. Yeah. I mean, he's like, well, he was telling him, you need to, you need to go into the fire. Come and, on. And we, when we studied that, member, because that was Laodicea, which was a neighboring community of Colossae, when we studied Colossians, we made the point that they were wealthy. And that was part of the problem. Yeah. They were comfortable in their wealth. That's why he brought up all these things about hospitality. Look, when you, when you're hospitable, you're basically creating a fire. Because when you have people in, guess what? They're going to get mad right. or things are going to get broken. They're, and especially when you have confronting conversations about lifestyle right? as it relates to Jesus, which is why I brought up the Samaritan woman. So in our remaining, we only have a few minutes left in, in, the, in this, and then we'll have overtime. But I want to read this text all the way through so we can talk a little bit about, uh, more about the overtime and then also in our next podcast because we've been kind of jumping around. So let me start in verse 4. Because we, we talked about this, but I want to read it all the way through uh, verse 11. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation. By the way, Jace, I looked up dissipator. Let's see if I can pull it up right quick. It's not what you think. It's not a root of this dissipation. But dissipator is a word, a part of a glacier in which the loss by melting exceeds the gain by the accumulation of snow. Hmm. So it means something totally different. So but another, it does mean but it is a word. that if you're involved, that gets back to the broken cistern. You're putting your faith in a lifestyle it can't be that, replaced. that is melting. There you go. That's withering. That that's well, that's the, good. That actually well, does apply. No, yeah. it does apply. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah it, it melts away. That's why I said anything other than God will not. So what happens when the fire hits it? Well, it really melts. Right. No, that's good. I like that. Um, the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, 
but live according to God in regard to the Spirit, which we'll talk a little bit about that in the overtime, some of the thoughts about it. The end of all things is near, which we mentioned, what that might be, and it could be several things, or maybe all those things together. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray, which I thought was interesting. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's the best weapon we got, by the way. It is. In, in any situation when you're like, I don't know what to do, what I should do, love is always good. We just need to love them. It's always a good answer. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, as Dad has noted. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And there's that idea of worship that Zach was talking about. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that's kind of his conclusion. I love that phrase, faithfully administering God's grace. Yeah. Because it's usually not what happens when things go south or arguments arise, tempers flare. It's usually insult for insult, which he he referenced in chapter 3. Plus, how many times do we associate the word administration with grace? Hardly ever. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's almost an oxymoron from a human perspective. If you think administration, you don't think grace. Yeah. You think law, you think, oh, you know, yeah. anything but grace, you know, this administration says, whether it's politics, school, whatever, he says we should be administrators of grace, which is really what God is all about, right? Yep. Which is pretty powerful. All right, well, we're out of time. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, uh, and there's so much to unpack uh, in the, in overtime, and then that'll lead us into our, our next podcast as well uh, in First Peter chapter 4. So it's Blaze TV dot com slash unashamed if you want to follow us over not only do you get our uh, overtime segments that we do uh, for the unashamed podcast but also everything uh, that blaze has to offer including 800 episodes of in the woods with phil which was a little show we did uh, for about four years uh dad's musings in the woods so check it out blaze tv.com slash unashamed thanks for listening to the unashamed podcast help us out by rating us on itunes And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.